0: Everybody's got to eat, and nobody likes getting sick. That's why heroes toil in the shadows, keeping your food safe at all points, from the supply chain to the point of sale. Join industry veterans Francine L. Shaw and Matt Ragucci for a deep dive into food safety. It all boils down to
1: one golden rule. Don't eat poop. Don't eat poop. Hello, Francine. Hi, Matt. That's how Joe knows when the episode starts is when I say hello, Francine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not just our producer, I guess our audience too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think we all know that's how we're going to start. Whenever Matt says hello, Francine, we should mess mix it up sometime, and maybe I'll just say hi, Matt, and they'll think. Yeah, it might scare people. They miss the hello, Francine part of it. (laughs) beginning when we first started doing this, it was like the introduction in the beginning of this was very awkward for me. Like just starting was very yeah. awkward. And I don't know why that was, but it was so awkward. I was thinking about this the other day and now it's it's just like phone calls, which it should have been then, but there was something about having this microphone in front of my face that just made it difficult to say, hi, Matt.
1: Right. <laughs> right? Because I even said to you, I was like, so do you want to introduce occasionally? And you're like, no. And I was like, okay. I said, the only fear I have is given this day and age, um, people like me have to worry about the perception that I am a sexist <laughs> if I'm constantly <laughs> the one that's starting it, constantly one doing the transition, and you're like, why would anybody think that? You know, have you not watched the news over the last five years, friends? <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know. It's just that's just I don't. Yeah, you don't come across that way, I don't think, in any of mm. the. I don't know. No. I know you, so I guess I don't think about that. If people listen to our conversations, I don't know that anybody would get that perception. Anybody that knows me
1: would know
0: that that's not the <laughs> right. case.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, you definitely would not end up in a podcast with me. Actually, the conversation would probably end pretty short quickly if you would. By I was that personality, yeah.
0: But anyway, yeah, it was just – it's funny how the dynamic has changed and that's not – it's just not difficult at all, which we knew would happen very naturally. It's just I was thinking about that the other day and I thought <laughs> that I'd bring that up.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I love too the, the conversations that we have after the show posts, just you and I, um, after the show posts and in the comments that people tell us and we're telling each other – like your, your husband, uh, a couple of weeks ago, after the podcast from a couple of weeks ago, and he was like, oh, I'm going to sell my poop.
0: <laughs> I mean, like I said, we have a septic tank, so the poop stays in our
1: backyard. <laughs> right? You're like, well, after I can sell it by our the ton." Field,
0: our field, not our backyard. So. <laughs>
1: Uh, and I was like, wait, no, he's older than 40. He can't sell it, remember? No. <laughs> he's timed out. Oh, man, but I, I so I so hope I get to meet somebody who can. That would be fascinating.
0: So wouldn't it be great if somebody called us and said, you know what? We heard your podcast and I was tested and I qualified and I'm selling my poop.
1: That'd be awesome, and and I would love to sponsor your show because you guys help me get this side gig that pays me 150 grand a year.
0: Oh, that would be great. That would be amazing, amazing. I'd hustle. Hashtag killing my poop.
1: It's yeah. You could do that job sitting down.
0: <laughs> my God. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, you know, <laughs> people that listen to us want to know what is it that goes through their heads? What, what goes through their brains? Now they definitely want to know.
1: <laughs> oh, that reminds me of that meme you posted. I don't even know when you posted, but you were, were like, people used to use this to make phone calls and it was a phone booth. And then, and it is like, now people use this and it's the toilet. (laughs) Remember that meme you
0: put? Somebody was going to the bathroom and they had their cell phone in their hand. I remember.
1: Uh, That was even before we had the podcast. Our humor, we just, we just knew, okay, it's already that way. We should do it this. We should put it this way.
0: We promised people that we really are professional in our professional (laughs) lives. Yeah. I feel like that needs to be said.
1: (laughs) We are very professional. My, my business partner and I just presented to somebody, um, a, a very large company with a, we did a, a job for them and ultimately the PowerPoint ended up being 98 pages long. The paper that was provided was 38 pages long. So, or like when we had auditors going out, I don't know how, how long were your checklists Francine? Cause mine, some of them were like multiple day, like five days, checklists, hundreds of questions. And the reports were super long, but on the, on the retail side, it's a, it's a lot shorter, right? They're like half the right. audits.
0: So you're, you were doing audits. We were doing inspections, which are entirely different. So that's, that's different. You were going through paperwork and all of that. Well, we looked at some things like the credentials for, you know, certifications and things like that. You were looking at things. Yes. It's like, we looked at the, Details within the restaurant very closely, but an audit right. is much different than an inspection,
1: and the facility sizes are different.
0: Right. I want to go back to this um, this PowerPoint. How many pages?
1: Ninety eight pages long. Why and specifically? Because it's on traceability, and so it wasn't all just the findings, but it was findings, recommendations. It was. Uh, it was a lot of stuff in in that and how the law handles it so we consult to traceability rule 204 the new traceability rule that's coming out in it's going to be it's coming out now it's came out now but it's going to be enforced by the FDA in january 20th 2026 so now major companies are trying to figure out how to comply with with that rule and my partner Andy Kennedy helped write the rule so he is very, very, very knowledgeable about it. So we go in and we spend, it depends on how long they want or how in depth they want, but going, you know, spend a couple of days looking at their different distributions, different parts of the operation and understanding their supply chain, understanding the different systems that they utilize and, and help them figure out how they can comply with the law given their unique supply chain and distribution. So it's, it's very interesting. I, I think it's fun. It's, it's intriguing. I've never done traceability was always an aspect because of recalls and stuff like that. Traceability is a huge part of food safety, understanding where the product, um, was, came from, was packed, was processed, was, you know, shipped to, et cetera. But now I'm focusing specifically like 100% of my job on traceability. And so it's not just an aspect, it's the whole entire thing. When you dive deep in there, it's really fascinating because really understanding how food moves and all the different barcodes. So if you go in, like everybody, when you go into a grocery store and you're looking at all the different cases of food, say in a produce department, or if you grab uh, cases or, or boxes from the middle of the you know the middle of the grocery store, like um, the type of stuff of Procter Gamble or Kellogg's or something like that, there's all these different codes on the box, the UPC codes and stuff. Well, that's that helps with scanning and buying the food, but also um, there are other codes that are utilized for traceability. And so, how do you create? Because everybody has different codes to the system. How do you create a systematic uniformity within the systems that they use to track that to then make sure that if there is an issue like an outbreak, they could trace it back super fast. So, right now, when the FDA does their epidemiology because there's an outbreak, a bunch of people get sick with E. coli. And they go out and they 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 ask all these people when what they ate, right? We've talked about this a few times, what they ate, where they ate it, et cetera, et cetera. And then they 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 go, okay, we think it's romaine lettuce in this region from these stores. And so then they then they go back and they say, Hey, what the what the law is asking for coming in a couple of years is we think it's this, 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 this. Provide us who you bought that product from. And where that product came from in this sortable spreadsheet. And so now all those retail food service, uh, retail and restaurants have to be able to track that. And that's very complicated. Nothing is designed to track it right now. So so that's why the, the reports are very, very in-depth is because everybody is unique and everybody has to figure out how to comply with it.
0: And it is different in every facility, every buyer, every supplier has a different process.
1: Every buyer, every supplier has a different process. And right now with the FDA, it's a lot of times there's an outbreak and they don't find out where it came from. They have no ability. They know where it was bought potentially, but they don't know where it came from. So they may even know, okay, it might be this marketing company that did this bagged lettuce. We know that, but we don't know what field it came from. So they're trying to really pinpoint it down and they're trying to speed up the process so that the faster they can pin it to where it came from, then they can trace up the supply chain, get all that product off the shelf, and hopefully less people will get sick and die.
0: Well, and oftentimes the outbreak's over before they've ever figured it out.
1: Oh, yeah, particularly with perishable products.
0: Right. Yeah, I was speaking about perishable products, but
1: yeah, but like we were talking about like those frozen strawberries. People could still be getting sick from that for years afterwards because they're frozen, right?
0: Well, right. When you're talk about non-perishables, it's entirely different.
1: Yes. So it's it's we're in the beginning of it because the rule just came out January and it's only been out for a few months. And so everybody's now trying to figure out how to comply with it. And they have two and a half years, which seems like a long time, two and a half years as of now. They had three years as of the beginning when the rule came out which seems like a long time, but we're talking about extremely complex supply chains. So some of our clients are kind of like, oh my gosh, three years isn't enough time because they have to figure it out. They have multiple different warehouse management systems and multiple different ERP systems, hundreds, if not thousands of suppliers that are part of this rule. So not every product is part of the rule. It's called a food traceability list, an FTL. So produce or whatever, produce seafood, certain produce items, not all produce items, certain pr- produce items, seafood, shelled eggs, anything that's managed by the FDA, nut butters. That's a big one. So nut butters obviously have been in outbreaks. So that's in so much stuff that people don't even know um, wow. and, and they have to comply.
0: So that list, that compliance list is probably on the FDA website.
1: Oh Yeah. Everything's on the FDA website.
0: Or you probably have that list as well.
1: Yeah, in a lot of places. Um, yeah. In fact, on we've been posting a lot of it on LinkedIn as well. And uh, yeah, I've, I've actually, I'll put that in the, the show notes, what what are on that list. And those are like the high, high risk list. Nice. That actually wasn't part of what we were going <laughs> to discuss. But we have been talking, I don't know, we have probably had mentioned this in a couple episodes about hepatitis A. And a potential vaccine or a vaccine that potentially could be used by restaurants to vaccinate workers so that, or restaurant workers, so that they don't get other people sick from hepatitis and they don't get sick themselves. And I thought we would dive deeper into that. Francine, you want to kind of take the lead on that? Sure.
0: There is a hepatitis A vaccine that is available for the prevention of hepatitis A it's not mandated. And the reason that it's not mandated for food service workers is because while they can transmit it very easily to the food, they are not at an increased risk for getting it because of their occupation. In other words, their occupation does not put them at an increased risk of getting hepatitis A. However, if they get it, they certainly can create a problem.
1: I get it. I hadn't thought of that. So the CDC isn't looking at two steps down. They're saying, we don't recommend it for people in, in food service to get it because you're not going to get it, most likely, from your job. But a lot of people in the food safety world are saying people should get it because that's, uh, they're able to transmit it. And so that's the disconnect then legally. Right. That is fascinating. And we had, from the from the previous week, we had found out that 40% of foodborne illnesses come from restaurant employees, or not just restaurant employees, but…
0: Sick workers. So, you know, when you put that into perspective, and there's, uh, you know, generally speaking, a fair amount of hepatitis A outbreaks in the food service industry. Yeah. This vaccine could prevent that if it was mandated or if restaurants took it upon themselves to voluntarily require their employees to have this vaccine.
1: I like how you said voluntarily require.
0: Right. Because it's not mandated by any (laughs) jurisdictions.
1: So it would be the restaurant that volunteers the requirement of their employees.
0: Right. They could make it a condition for their employment.
1: Got it. And, I can't remember the precedent that was set with COVID. Has this stood the test of time through the courts that employers can force and mandate vaccines on employees? I'm really ignorant to that. I mean, really, I mean, I'm kind of in the COVID is over, let's forget about it stage of my life. So I haven't been up, up on that at all. Do you know?
0: I'm looking right now, but I feel like West Virginia, or at least a county in West Virginia requires food handlers to get the vaccine.
1: Wow, that's interesting. You would assume like New York City over West Virginia or something, or LA. It's kind of... Been pushed because I'm about to get a t shirt from Marlar Clark about this exact same thing. So, Marlar Clark, he's uh, poison's going to come out soon. I think a lot of our audience will watch this on Netflix. So, you'll get to see who he is. But he's one of the main attorneys in one of the actually, that's all he does is food safety law, I think. But he's one of the main attorneys in food safety law. And he's really advocating and pushing that right now. And he just posted. This week, we'll put the, the link to the article down below, but he just posted this week that he would consult any restaurant or any group that wants to have hepatitis, you know mandate hepatitis A vaccines onto their employees. He would consult all of them for one dollar. And in our legal system, if you get a consultation with an attorney, They can't work against you. So he even says that, then then I can't be on the other side of you. And to give you an idea of how powerful that is, I think his own law firm has almost a billion dollars in lawsuits within the food industry. So he's kind of like monster number one for most major retail and food service companies (laughs) when it comes to fear of being litigated against in this in the industry so for him to put that out there i thought was pretty interesting and then did you see the comments when i posted that on linkedin like people were bashing marler in the comments as well like he is not he is not a friend to or people feel like he is not a friend to a lot of people in the industry But this is, I thought this was a great offer. And he actually put like an offer you can't refuse like he's a godfather on on that article. we will have to post it up there.
0: So I didn't see the comments after that. Um, However, I did. I don't know if you saw this or not. I saw it at like five o'clock this morning. He had posted a letter from somebody who had had a hepatitis A outbreak. And then from that point forward, they had required their employees to get the vaccine. And he was thanking them, thanking Marlar, for making such an offer and trying to move things forward. What I'm thinking about for West Virginia is this. At one point, the state health officer issued strong recommendation for food service and restaurant owners in certain counties to have their employees vaccinated against hepatitis A. This was a few years ago. They were having a a serious uh, hepatitis A issue. So that's what I'm remembering. Um, We live very close to the state of West Virginia. And that's why that was sticking in my head. So that's what I was that's what I was remembering. But I can remember when that was a big deal for the state.
1: So it wasn't it wasn't a mandate, it was a recommendation. A very really? strong, so recommendation, a strong recommendation. recommendation. So so you know this, you would know this way better than I do. If somebody like that comes out and has a strong recommendation to obviously the people there or the organizations they're creating enforcement from, right? Like they're going in and doing inspections. How much influence does that person have within the restaurant industry of their county? Do they have a lot of influence? Do people actually listen to these guys or no? It
0: probably depends on the region that you're located in. I'm going to say, based on the response, I live in Pennsylvania, this is West Virginia. I remember this vividly enough that I'm talking about it five years later.
1: Wow. Um,
0: And enough that I thought that it was, that they actually, you know, enforced this. So I'm going to say that, you know, we had people that we were um, training in that area at that time that were talking about it. So I'm going to say it definitely has an impact on the businesses. I'm also going to say that, it's gonna depend on obviously the owners of the establishment, right you know, and how seriously they're gonna take it. but uh, yeah, absolutely it's gonna have it's gonna have an impact
1: yeah when we when we have marlar on, it would be interesting to know what the cost of these are um, or if we can because what would it be to the cost of to the restaurateur to provide these vaccines?
0: So some, Places offer them free, some, and I just saw that somewhere where I was looking that offers them, offer them free. I also saw a price that was like, I think I saw a $78 price tag, but I would think if you were buying them in bulk.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like a lot, like a McDonald's offered it to all their employees. I bet they probably would get it for like a buck.
0: I'm going to think that you can get like a bulk discount. I mean, you can get a bulk discount on anything, right?
1: Yeah, you get like a value meal at McDonald's and a hepatitis shot for the same price, (laughs) free with purchase.
0: And I was also, I looked up the side effects. Now, people are going to debate the side effects all day long, like they do about everything. And we're going to have people that are, you know, probably beating us up over the whole vaccine thing to begin with.
1: Oh, 100%.
0: The side effects for this are minimal. We're talking like, Sore arm at the injection site, <laughs> you know yeah. that, that they were they were very 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 minimal. It was basically nothing that you would even you know bat an eye at. Um, No worse than getting like a. In fact, it was less than a flu shot. Here it is. Here it is. Symptoms of the hepatitis A can last up to two months. Include. This is the symptoms of hepatitis A. Uh, not to mention death. You know, fatigue, nausea, stomach pain, and jaundice. Most people with hepatitis A do not have long lasting illness. However, you can die as a result of hepatitis.
1: What? Oh, of hepatitis? Yes, yes. Okay.
0: No, no, no. Not the vaccine.
1: Got it. You're like, Ah, oh, what are the side effects? Possibly death. But no, don't worry about it. We'll just. <laughs> no, no,
0: no. You cannot die from the vaccine. No. Okay, All right, that's good.
1: And I just checked too because I have um, I'm O negative, so I get spammed by the blood banks. And if I get hepatitis, I can't donate. So I just checked. You can take the vaccine and donate blood. Perfectly fine.
0: Right. So I had the vaccine.
1: Oh, and you have.
0: I, had, I have. I have not. It was required for a country that I went to.
1: Oh yes, a long time ago.
0: Yeah, I went out of the country to work, and um, it was it was required for the country that I visited. I had no side effects.
1: Yeah. Okay. I should probably go get that. I mean, I've gotten every other vaccine. Does the vaccine come with a chip that will track me for the rest of my life? Like the COVID vaccines?
0: This is the second (laughs) time today that I'm going (laughs) to (laughs) say Matt Rigucci.
1: Second time today. I think it's the second time of this episode.
0: And that makes it the third or fourth time today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The, the conspiracy theories on vaccines. I love them.
0: Um, I don't believe you will be injected with any type of chip, you know, of course, you know,
1: I posted that on, on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about Elon Musk's brain chip or whatever Elon Musk is coming up with now. And, uh, you know, obviously there's a tons of conspiracies about that as well. And I said, uh, I think I post like when I post the article, I think in the comment on the on the on the intro section, I put like, um, why is everybody complaining? I, I think I have three of these already because I took three COVID shots. Um, It was ranging from people who thought I was serious to people who thought I was funny and then people who knew I wasn't serious but did not think I was funny. <laughs> Yeah,
0: not everybody understands our humor.
1: <laughs> uh, some people understand it; they just don't appreciate it. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, there, there is that as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the so so here is from, and we're gonna post this too because it has the shirt, uh, which I post. I, I emailed. I emailed because on his on his blog he said, you know, I'm giving away all these. He's got a bunch of shirts, four shirts right now. I'm giving them away at I uh, no IAFP, which is a conference, a food safety conference. Which I won't be at because I'll be at a different conference, which is not food safety but food related, at the same time. And so I emailed him and was like, "Can I please have them?" Even though I'm not going to be at the conference. But there's this this shirt with a bunch of syringes. It looks like somebody's doing. Looks like he's about to get <laughs> mad. I thought. Yeah, I was I'm like, like what? this
0: looks like somebody's
1: yeah. <laughs> which which is fitting with hepatitis A because a lot of people get. Hepatitis from sharing of needles. But right. yeah, he's like hardly a week goes by that there is not yet another announcement of hepatitis A positive employee putting co-workers, customers, and restaurant brands at risk, which is fascinating, which goes back to last week's episode about 40% of you know food born-out illnesses, which is hepatitis A, could be part of that, come from food service workers. Yeah. And he said all are preventable by a hepatitis A vaccination. And so he said, here's my offer to any restaurant chain that will offer hepatitis A vaccinations to all present and future employees. I will agree to consult with that restaurant for $1 and conflict Marler Clark, Inc. PS from being on the opposite side of the courtroom. The conflict, he won't be able to be on the other side by $1. And he said, this seems like an quote – offer you can't refuse which is a lot better than a horse head in your bed i don't know
0: so yeah i don't understand why people see that as a problem like what 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 is there negative to say about that
1: i you know i was thinking the same thing when i posted that and all, like the negative comments i got and i think it's a lot of people see him as a showman there's a lot of showmanship with with marlar like him he he took this down, but at one point in time, he was standing in front of his like massive jet. And he's like, thank you, food industry for paying for my jet. (laughs) You know? Um, And then-
0: This is the thing. This is the thing. He has created a stage for himself where uh, he can get the information out there. So if he uses that stage to put good information and draw the attention to get this information where it needs to be, Good for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I, uh, 100% agree.
0: I understand what you're saying. I I mean, I understand what you're saying. These people think he's bragging or he's, you know, calling attention to himself and his success. Okay, so he's created a platform where he has the ability to do that, but people are listening. If somebody that hadn't reached that level of success was doing the same things, would as many people be listening? Probably not.
1: And would there be a lot more people dead? Would there be a lot more people dead? I believe so. I believe that there he has created a net positive within the industry by being that monster. <clears throat> and when I, I use the term monster, because there are a lot of a lot of people in the C suite of major food companies are very afraid of him, and policies have been changed within companies because they're afraid of being sued by him. And when I say sued by him, it's not like he's creating the lawsuit. He's creating the lawsuit on behalf of consumers that have gotten sick from consuming brands that they should have not gotten sick from, right? So it's, he has become that middleman of the you know, suing people on behalf of the, the consumers. And they're afraid of him. But there's a huge difference between reactionary food safety and a food safety culture. And that's where I think he's moving. He's moved towards now that you know frank guinness and and a lot of really influential people in the industry are moving towards creating that. Those soft skills of a food safety culture, as opposed to just, you know, my, here's my SOPs, here's my logs, here's everything that I need to do in order to, to minimize foodborne illness. Those are great. You should have those practices in place. But are you actually doing it because you believe in it, because these are part of your company values, or are you doing it because you're afraid of being sued when a consumer gets sick? That's a very different reason to be a part of food safety and, and to to utilize food safety. And I think because he's been there be, through the whole entire thing, you know, starting thirty years ago. Because he's been there through the whole entire thing, he's become the monster, and anything he does seems to be negative in the eyes of some retailer, food service companies, and the industry, the supply chain, because they just fear him. They're afraid of him.
0: And my and we've talked about this before. My response to that is he's not out there looking for people to sue that are making mistakes. Right. They're people that have intentionally done things wrong. You don't read, at least I never have, read articles about people that invo- have been involved in lawsuits that have made Honest mistakes. These are people that have created basically fraud in some way, whether it be through their documentation, fraudulent documentation, or you know, I think wire fraud in some of the cases. Somewhere they've done something really wrong within well, their industry. They some, a lot. Right.
1: Some of it is is just is some of it. Some of the lawsuits are because of negligence not fraud. It. They just, they didn't, they didn't even know what I'm, the I'm issue still was. I'm going through my
0: list, but they're, they're, the negligence wasn't, oops, I made a mistake, kind of, it was negligence.
1: Right. They should have known that it was, that they, that that shouldn't have happened or that product shouldn't have gone out. Or as, uh, you know, Frank put it with the whole, Frank Yennis put it with the whole, with the FDA's inspection on the formula, right? That, that, that episode where you know, you're trying to find your 30 samples of these multiple tons of product. You're you're not going to find anything. So some of the practices that are currently in place aren't even able to find issues. The, there's a huge back, difference between fraud and just and just some ignorance. of them are
0: fraud. Some of them are ignorance, and there's a multitude of things. But back to the formula: if you go back. <laughs> here I go. <laughs> if you go back and look at some of the documentation leading up to that, like previous inspections and things like that, there was a problem.
1: Yeah. Oh, yes.
0: So it wasn't like, oops, there was a problem leading up to.
1: But I'll, I'll use, I'll use Jensen stuff. farms as an example. So Jensen farms, uh, over a decade ago, I think over a decade ago, maybe a decade, somewhere around 10 years ago. It's been a while. Uh, it was a couple brothers owned this company, third generation farm. They were uh, packing, growing, packing, shipping of cantaloupes <clears throat> and uh, they bought this new equipment used that was hopefully going to make their cantaloupes quality better. And they just, they didn't understand that the product, that the, the product was getting listeria on their cantaloupes from the new packing equipment that they received. They received some bad advice. They had bought the wrong equipment, and they ended up killing some people because of cantaloupes. I understand this case very, very well because I would still be working at one of my previous employers if this outbreak didn't happen. Uh, because I chose to leave, not because I got <laughs> idea. Yeah, I didn't it, – I it wasn't me that had the issue. I just was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. That was all – criminal negligence. I say criminal negligence because they actually did get arrested and they had home house arrests for like six months. So they, uh, they had lost their whole entire business, uh, third generation farm over just ignorance. And that's sad, but that is very different than fraud or actually trying to cover anything up. They didn't. They just didn't even know what they were doing wrong and they killed people because of it. And so that is where I feel like getting out that soft skills and the food safety culture, as well as the hard skills of making sure the equipment is correct. You're doing the appropriate testing. You're doing all these things. The more that, that happens within the industry and the less ignorant people are, and I'm not using ignorant in terms of them being stupid. They just didn't know what they didn't know. Right.
0: So I have a question now. What, what piece of equipment did they buy?
1: They bought a used potato equipment, like a sorting line.
0: To clean cantaloupe.
1: Correct. But, but it, it doesn't even matter. They could have bought a brand new potato piece of equipment and it probably would have been better. But the, the issue was they weren't um, sanitizing it correctly. They weren't testing to see if the listeria was there. And so listeria is going to be on those cantaloupes because it comes from the soil. Listeria is in the environment. Right.
0: I understand. So, did they not understand that they needed to sanitize? I mean, I don't know. They didn't. I just don't.
1: And it wasn't and, part of the audit. I mean, this is, this is 10 years ago. So, it's one of those that every single time there's an outbreak, um, tools get created, better tools get created to minimize the sources of this. So, like, better tools, audits are better now than they were 10 years ago. And of um,
0: course, it was used, so there was no training. Right. If you buy new equipment, the training goes right. with the equipment, typically speaking. Right.
1: So there was no training on it. They just kind of set it up and forgot about anything else. It's just this is great. We're creating a better product for our customers, and they really believed that. And uh, and in some ways, they did. The quality was better. The problem was. You know the the foodborne illness on that got people sick.
0: So it wasn't blatant negligence,
1: right? It was criminal negligence, actually. But it but it was ignorance that led to it.
0: It wasn't intentional.
1: It was not intentional, which is which is why they. Oh man, and the 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 government totally used them as an example, um, and we're using it now today. But most times, foodborne out outbreaks and illnesses. There is no criminal portion of it, which is what Darren was talking about as well. Consumer groups want more of that criminal side—you know, people actually going to jail. I'm kind of torn between that. I don't. I think if there was more jail time for for outbreaks like this, then then it would be on more radars for the supply chain because obviously that's big news and stuff. But. A lot of times, I just don't know.
0: I think the opportunity for that to be part of the punishment should be there, so that it would be taken more seriously.
1: Yeah, I just, I just hate people seeing people go to jail.
0: Well, I mean, I don't, I'm not a fan of seeing people go to jail, but I'm also not a fan of some of the things that I've witnessed. Yeah. There just needs to be, people need to understand the seriousness of people dying because they didn't take their jobs seriously enough. Or, and, and this is the thing this is the thing. Do you understand how many people that I have had in trainings that were mandated over the years that walk in? Don't take that credential training serious enough because they're forced to be there. Right. So it's kind of like, I'm here because I have to be here. I don't even want to be here. I'll test out. And that's what makes me feel like when you've been exposed to so much of that, or you know what I faced in some of the health inspections that I did over the years, and you, you don't right. even know half of what I've seen during some of those. And you know, you walk out the door and they're doing the same things over again. Well, if they had you know, and one of the worst, I couldn't even get the support that I needed from the county that I was working in. If there were there was more consistent support, if there was more consistency in the regulations, and there were stronger penalties for, you know, the things that can actually kill people um, or make them severely ill, Then I think that we would see a difference. That's why I feel like I feel.
1: I agree, and, and more of the understanding of why. I, I always come back to those soft skills of of training appropriately, and and that understanding of why. And uh, we are talking about the the dollar amount and stuff like that. And I forgot in this article on Food Safety News by Bill Marler, he actually mentions it out. And this 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 one paragraph will really help in understanding why. He says, overwhelmed by the number of victims who pursued legal action for their injuries, famous Anthony's filed bankruptcy and several of its locations have been closed. The tragedy of this preventable hepatitis A outbreak cannot be overstated. Four people died. In one family, two of its members lost their lives in one family. Most of the victims were hospitalized. Many risked acute liver failures. At least one person required both a liver and a kidney transplant. Medical bills for the victims totaled over $6 million in acute costs, with millions of dollars in future expenses. Probably of millions of dollars in future expenses. This is me ad-libbing and adding to this. And all of this is because one employee did not receive a $30 to $120 hepatitis A vaccine. That one paragraph explains the why. And that, I think, is where he does a good job of it now really explained the, the, the why. And just I th- more people just need to read it. More people need to understand it. More people need to listen to it. That's why you should listen to Don't Eat Poop.
0: So um, Pennsylvania, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, earlier this year, there was a restaurant. There were 10 confirmed cases and three deaths.
1: Yeah, geez. Hepatitis is nasty.
0: So, I mean, this is why, again, I feel like I feel... I don't think that restaurant survived.
1: Oh, how? How could you? The lawsuits on that? It's going to be...
0: I believe, I'm pretty sure that they ended up closing.
1: So this kind of brings us, this brings us, while you're figuring that out, it brings us to our myth. And the myth of today is the last meal, the food safety myth is the last meal I ate is what caused my foodborne illness. And oh my gosh, how I know I've had hundreds of conversations with people that have gotten sick. You know, they start feeling sick after they eat at a Mexican food restaurant or a, a Chinese food restaurant or a subway or something like that. And they're like, Oh, it's from that. I I ate that an hour ago and now I'm sick. It's from that. Where the placebo is, you know. I'm throwing up what I just ate and that's disgusting. I don't want to eat that again, right? Because a lot of people, that is the case. It's the same case for me too. Like the last thing I want to eat again for a very long time is what I just threw up. That is very different than that being where you got sick from. Because a lot of times these illnesses take like three, four, five days or like with listeria, a couple of weeks. With hepatitis, how long is the incubation of hepatitis? I don't even know. Two to seven weeks. Two to seven weeks. So, wow. That means that anybody who ate at that restaurant two to seven weeks ago, first off, I had to remember they ate at that restaurant two to seven weeks ago, and then they got hepatitis. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's most likely not where you last ate. While you may not feel like you want to eat again, what you just threw up—that's completely understandable. But it's most likely not that restaurant that you just ate at. It's some other. What's what's? Um, I forget what norovirus is. What's norovirus? Twelve to forty-eight hours. Illness is generally self-limited, and most patients fully recover within one to three days. When people have their what they call a twenty-four-hour flu, most of the time it's probably norovirus. Which, if you want to know what that looks like, this what what happens when you get norovirus. Just look at Francine's Noro Man.
0: I love Noro Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Front and back, man. Not good.
0: <laughs> it's like um, uh, projectile vomiting and explosive diarrhea. That is. I used to tell people I make a living talking about vomiting and diarrhea. <laughs> this is what I do.
1: <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, Francine. Francine.
0: <laughs> this is what I do. Um, yeah, this is what I do. So, um, anyway, I, I think I, I always, you know, told people that you know the reason you want to blame it on the last thing you eat is because when you're throwing up, that's what you see in the toilet. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so that's what you think made you sick. When in reality, it probably isn't. One
1: hundred percent. Yeah. And it, and it makes absolute sense. I mean, you still don't want to do, you don't want to eat it. Even psychologically or, or um, cognitively, you know, like, okay, that's not what I got sick from. It's just, you're repulsed by it because humans are repulsed by feces and, and by throw up and all that stuff. Any type of bodily fluids like that we're repulsed by it. We're supposed to be genetically, we're supposed to be repulsed by that. Um, it probably helped us survive for millions and millions of years
0: most humans are people that do what we do.
1: Yeah, or my wife who's a nurse. <laughs> yeah. Or with with like uh with all the children that we have and all the babies.
0: It's kind of like, you know, you don't want to go out to eat with us because you never know what we're going to end up talking about. <laughs> like there's not a worse yeah. group of people to go out eating, to go out to eat with. Yummy. Yeah.
1: So, all right, well, on that note, so-
0: Wait, one more thing. I want to talk about the side effects of the hepatitis A vaccine, hepatitis oh, A. Oh, okay. I don't think I ever covered those. Um, slightly raised temperature, feeling unwell, tiredness, headache, feeling sick, loss of appetite. Those are the side effects of the hepatitis A. Which
1: vaccine. is which is like every vaccine.
0: Right. Well, anytime you inject something into your body that, you know.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, those chips got to go somewhere. <laughs> body, right? <laughs> you keep shaking your head at me. Oh, I'll stop talking about conspiracies.
0: Conspiracy? Th- I am not I'll stop making fun of other people's conspiracies. Yeah. Okay. Now, can we end? I think that I've said everything I have to say today. I want it.
1: <laughs> no, that is there. not true. You and I both know you're lying, but we have a time limit. <laughs> you have way more stuff you could talk about this, Ransi.
0: Always. Way more to talk about.
1: All right. Well, everybody, Don't eat poop.
0: No poop. No poop for me.
1: Thank you, guys.